Aloha and welcome to the second edition of the Hawaii Ultra podcast. Uh, this is an interview with Alex Luck. She is a uh, coach, ultra runner, uh, bodybuilder, nutritionist, I suppose I should say Dr. Alex Lucht. Uh, so we talked uh, about a, a lot of different things, a lot of different subjects and stuff, including uh, somewhat of, about our situation here in Hawaii. So uh, if you want to uh, subscribe to the podcast, you can actually either search for us uh, on iTunes, just search for Hawaii Ultra. You can go to YouTube for our video versions of uh, our podcasts, uh, and you can search again on YouTube for Hawaii Ultra. And you can also help us out uh, by donating uh, basically the price of a cup of coffee uh, by going to our Patreon site. So that's uh, that site is www.patreon. Uh, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Hawaii Ultra. And you can also email us at joe at joefireball.com. And you can check out our webpage at, again, hawaiiultra.com. So please enjoy. Aloha. Aloha. Happy, Hello. happy Monday. Hey, happy Monday. We're here with uh, Alex Luck. And, uh, oh, I noticed you have an extra name here, uh, which I didn't realize. No, no. Yeah, it shows Ulbrich. Yeah, that's a an X name. So. Oh, okay. Oops, sorry about that. No worries. But uh, we're here to do uh, a little recording, a little uh, entertainment, hopefully for people who are perhaps not out and running today. Maybe they are running, and uh, we'll have an audio version. And again, this is this will come under uh, uh, HawaiiUltra.com. You can find us there. But Alex. Can you tell me a little bit about, I, I don't know much about your background and stuff. I've been fort, fortunate enough to see you in person and be there and stuff with you uh, in your present life and stuff. But tell me something about yourself. Tell me about where you grew up. So I was born in Virginia um, and lived in New Mexico, I would say, for the majority of my middle school, high school years. So I guess that's where I'd say I'm from. And I started with a background in dance and gymnastics, so very privileged, uh, spoiled upbringing. And uh, then I moved into track in high school, so I switched schools in high school to um, work with the best track coach in the state. And I was very fortunate to be talented to some extent that I was able to have some success there and a little bit of success in college until I decided that playing rugby and drinking beer was more up my alley than running track. So um, wait, 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 what college did you go to? I went to New Mexico state. So I had started to run track and like I said, the party scene um, seemed a lot more exciting than running in circles. So I've had some experience with rugby. I was, I spent 25 years in uh, Aspen. So we used to have a big rug, rugby tournament there. Yeah. Yeah. We just had a club, we had a club team. It wasn't officially sponsored by our college, but we got to compete and yeah. So what kind of dance did you do? What kind of dance were you in? Mostly ballet, but a little bit of everything um, from hip hop, tap, jazz, 
little yeah that was that was my big and probably first big passion so um but I saw a lot of people that I was friends with um dying of eating disorders at a very young age and um I kind of saw the darker side of the sport and I think it 14 I told my mom I didn't want to go down that road it wasn't a healthy environment and I went from six hours of dance a day to quitting so oh wow yeah I had some experience with uh friends who were uh, I knew a ballet teacher and stuff when I was in college and stuff and I yeah I saw that but that's great at 14 that you recognize that that's amazing yeah it was kind of funny and then I chose running and bodybuilding so two more sports with <laughs> Also, probably not the best body images for some of those people. Yeah, I really, it it bugs me, uh, you know, since we're kind of all uh, online and stuff, friends, I consider them friends on Facebook, the continual use of uh, makeup and, and uh, you know, just being so, yeah. <laughs> It's like, I, I'm just amazed by it. I, I, understand, I think I understand it. I mean, I know it's the social pressure and stuff, but uh, I admire people that just, hey, who, here's who I am. This is what you got. Yeah, I would say, um, that's, I don't know if that's a good segue into what you want, but that's definitely a part of the reason I moved away from the bodybuilding, although I do still coach it for a lot of people. Um, it was an amazing and extremely hard sport, much, much harder than running 100 mile races. Um, but a lot of what you do and how well you do it is based off of a perception of what you look like and having a certain image. And as a coach, and even in my own personal life, I felt like the need to look a certain way shouldn't be a main focal point to to a sport for me. It just wasn't a right, the right match. And, um, and you, you mentioned that it was harder than running hundred mile races in, wait, in one aspect. Was it, was it the training or was it the nutrition? Have you ever tried being hungry for four months? Um, <laughs> sort of kind of back, back in, back in uh, college, I used to do month fasts, you know, okay. where I would just go without uh, just water for a month yeah. and stuff and it was more a spiritual thing than uh, trying to look a certain way yeah so it's definitely the the nutrition part is hard um training and bodybuilding is hard i chose to not use drugs and uh you know you said you don't usually get political on here so i oh no I that's okay that's I okay that. i won't go down that um but I have a lot of friends. I'd say 99% of my friends in that realm use drugs. And I think there's a lot of education and benefits that can be learned from that as far as like medical science and what the human body is capable of with these enhancements. But as someone who wasn't using them, I got kind of to a point that I had reached the upper level of what was feasible with my genetics and my dedication. And so to continue to bash your head against the wall per se, or to try to improve on what I had been doing, you know, um, in a realm where 99% of the people weren't on the same playing field. It was just kind of a, it was a diminishing returns, if you will. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so I, I'm guessing it was steroids and EPO yeah. and that usual stuff. So, um, not so much with the EPO because bodybuilders, 
they don't care if they can walk up a flight of stairs. Um, <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not trying to, and a lot of people will really mock that. They'll say, what's the point of having all that muscle if it's not functional or what's the point of looking that way if you're not strong, but for anyone that's really passionate about the sport and is doing it right, those people are strong. It's just they're not choosing to whip the weight around like a power lifter or crossfitter might. So they might lift lighter weights, but do much more targeted lifts. Um, but so yeah, not so much EPO, but yes, a lot of steroids, a lot of abuse of thyroid and ADHD medications, um, a lot of abuse of really anything that could affect your metabolism. But at that side effect, when you stop using those things, um, your body it has a very hard recovery period from what I've seen with a lot of my friends. And so then you become essentially dependent. So if you just Google like how many bodybuilders have thyroid issues or diabetes, and it's going to be 80, 90% of the people coming out of that sport might have affected themselves and a huge chunk, maybe 20 or 30% end up with like diabetes for the rest of their life or a thyroid disorder or, you know, a major met metabolic disorder. So. Well, it would it be inaccurate or it would be, it would it be somewhat accurate to say that they're, they, even though they were building muscle up, they weren't really taking care of their core. Um, I mean, that's the thing we don't know. So bodybuilders have always been ahead of medical science. So they're, they're testing substances that aren't regulated by any service. So you know, if what they're getting is what they think what they're getting, or if they're, you know, intelligent enough that they're making these things, they have their own labs, which a lot of them do, um, you know, they might be doing things that are very healthy and just fine. Um, you know, the, or the reason that we use human growth hormone in children and in surgery repairs and in all sorts of that is because of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So people want to, and in some ways, utilizing human growth hormone is something that some people just need a little bit of to maybe fix a knee surgery. Um, so I don't think necessarily um, from my educational background as well as my being around it, I don't think necessarily it's bad for everyone and they're all destroying themselves. But I would say to use steroids properly. <laughs> If that's the sort of thing. Well, I can remember when HGH very hard, you know. I, I remember when HGH first first came out, you know, yeah. and the uh, not actual. Well, I remember when HGH first came out, but then there was the uh, what do you call it? The precursors or, or natural uh, uh, ingredients that you can use to help build that up. Right. What do, uh, speaking of a, you, you talked about, uh, you know, your background and degrees, uh, did you end up graduating college? Do you have, are you a doctor? Yeah. So I, um, I actually finished, so I went to school for nutrition and got sidetracked in, did a massage school program. And then, um, I went back to school. I was originally actually looking at a program there was a master's program for the psychology of essentially the relationship of food and then athletes and both the psychology of their relationships with that food and how it affects them 
coming with my nutrition background, but I found a program um, in India that oh. was more affordable. Um, so I ended up going to school to get my doctorates um, cheaper than I could get my master's in the States uh, for natural medicine. And I just did a big focus on psychology and a big focus on, you know, more nutrition education and kind of a lot of herbal healing because those were, they kind of allowed you to alter your program to focus on the core, the core things that you wanted to target and practice. So whereabouts in India? In Calcutta. So it was, it was mostly a distance learning program, although I spent a lot of money and a lot of time at uh, the University of Hawaii doing proctored tests and things like that. So. Okay. So that is that part of the reason you initially came to Hawaii? No, I was married to the islands. Yeah, I was married in my twenties um, to a military guy, and so when he got stationed in Hawaii, I got to come along. And when I was in my thirties and single, um, I returned to the best place I could think of. So, yeah. So it's kind you, of a. Weren't you headed, guess. if I remember correctly, weren't you headed to uh, Japan or China? Yeah, so I spent a few years with him in Japan, and I really loved it there. Um, outside of here, that's probably one of my high place, you know, high pick places of places I'd live again um, that I've gotten to live. So yeah. And when you first moved here, you were in Oahu, yeah, in Honolulu, essentially. Yeah, in Oahu, and that's I've kind of got a big friend base there. I'm a little bit newer to Big Island, but um, still. A, I think it's more diverse, and so I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I don't know specifically, but you probably, you were a high-level bodybuilder? Yeah, so I got my pro card, um, which is a pretty hard thing to do, and then I competed on a, a world, the world competitions for that a few times. I think I got like 14th one year and 11th one year, and that was kind of when I started evaluating things like, well, what's it going to take for me to be top five? And that would have been steroids. And what's it going to take for me to be top 10? And that's going to be having my body fat so low and changing how I live my life, meaning giving up running and hiking and things like that to a point that it wasn't the sport for me anymore. So. Okay. So yeah. How did you, do you remember that moment when you were maybe out running where it was like, Hey, I want to do this. So I made a bet with myself. You'll probably appreciate the humor and stupidity in this. Um, I had heard about ultra running at a very young age. So I think I was seven. Oh, wow. Six years old when I met a guy named Garrett Ford and he had done Western States both on horseback and as the Tevis cup horseback. Yeah. And on foot. And so he was probably, this is going to be horribly embarrassing, and I'm still going to send it to him because we're still friends. Um, he was dating his now wife of many, many years, um, Lisa. And he was probably my first crush, per se. <laughs> you know, he was a family friend. He was probably early 30s, late 20s. Um, we saw him at all of these horse racing events. And I was like, wow, like, that's the kind of guy I'd want to marry, you know, he's into horses and he runs and he's super fit and he's still really, he was really nice to me. He didn't treat me like a, you know, a seven year old kid. And so I probably had my first crush on him and I thought, Oh man, 
he just runs 50 or 100 miles. That's so cool. And so I started running a lot as my parents, we lived in a very rural area and my mom would let me get out of the car and she'd drive behind me for five miles. And as I ran on a dirt road or she would, I'd say, I'm going to go run. And I think, you know, back in the day, they bought me like a CD player you could carry. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would carry, run with my big CD player and listen to like Linkin Park on repeat for hours as it skipped <laughs> every time I hit a bump. And um, so I started running, I think when I was eight or nine, there was a race that I had done and it was this, these long distance horse races I was doing with my mom and, um, my horse had an issue. And so I just got off and ran for almost 30 miles. And so I was, and I didn't really think anything of it. And I didn't think anything of it being weird. I just, oh. every time the horse was going that slower that I could run, I would just get off and run. And, you know, my, at that time, my 50 pounds or whatever I weighed probably didn't help the horse very much, but. Um, you were what, seven years old, eight years old then? Something like that. And so I, it was very natural. And then I went to high school really young. Um, that whole privileged upbringing. I had uh, done well in school, at least on, you know, books. And so I went to high school at 13. And so I was lucky enough to be like the youngest kid to ever compete at state track meets. And, oh, wow. you know, at that age, I think there's a lot of times middle schoolers will run as competitively or better than high schoolers. So I was kind of at an age where it's really socially awkward. It wasn't, <laughs> I was not in, involving myself and getting along with you know high school kids probably as well as I should have because I was a lot younger and super awkward and so I just focused everything on running and um yeah it just kind of it's it's been a lifelong thing since then so now I I have one sort of western states uh story I helped out at the way too cool uh 50 hmm. back in 2009 and uh, uh, Gary Wang's a friend of mine, and Gary was doing the race. And I, w I was actually in San Francisco, and they uh, staring at Gary's house, uh, getting some uh, medical stuff done. And uh, after the, or I helped at an aid station, and this old guy <laughs> comes up and starts talking to me about stuff. And a really nice guy, super nice guy. And as it turns out, it was Gordy Ainsley, okay. you know, which was like, they had no idea that was Gordy and stuff. And, you know, years later now, I am in the same age group as Gordy. Gordy is actually younger. He's one year younger than me and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I still kind of remember that. And that was, what, 11 years ago and stuff. That's so funny. Is, is, is that maybe, um, you know, uh, a running goal that you might have in the future? Well, I mean, everybody, yeah, I'd love to do Western States. So I'm kind of weird about that. I've qualified a lot of times as far as like to be able to put in for the lottery, but I don't think I would do the race unless I like outright won a qualifier and got a golden ticket. Um, just kind of a matter of stubbornness and pride. I don't know. Um, so I haven't, I haven't put in for it. Um, I'll probably go run the course. I've talked about it uh, with Billy, uh, my current partner and um We'll pro we're probably going to go run the course at some point just because I want to see it, you know, but it wouldn't be like an official race. It would just be, you know, to go do the course. Yeah, well, I was actually the, the buff that I was wearing uh, and joking when I started out was actually I'm part of the Western States course. Oh, how funny. 
Yeah, it was the Judd Smith Ultra. Which, yeah, uh, yeah, nice course. I mean, uh, that part of the course is really, really nice. Uh, everything I saw when I was volunteering at uh, Way Too Cool, because that's part of the course too, is just, wow, this is th these are areas that I want to run. You know? Right. So that's, you know, if nothing else, I'll probably run the course at some point. But as far as doing the race, I'm, I'm a small race kind of person. I'm not, not as excited about being there with a bunch of photographers and a ton of crowds. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a cool in theory, but as far as all of that, it seems kind of like a lot of hype. Yeah. So the, uh, you got into ultra running. What are some of the races that you remember that you really liked? I mean, it's hard to dislike a race. Well, tell me, is there a race you disliked? Uh, ooh, is there a race I disliked? Um, so I've done a lot of loop, not a lot. I've, my experience isn't all that exciting. Um, I've done a handful of loop races and they are not my preference. Actually, my last race I did was one, but it was because my partner had not done one and it was kind of on his list of things to do. Um, but as far as that format, I mean, I'm a race director now. So um, like I'm putting a race on that's in that format. So I appreciate it. But as far as for me, that's not my main favorite style of race, I guess. So there's a lot of races for those of, I don't know if there's, if your viewers, if there's anybody who doesn't super follow ultra running, but there's kind of a format that there's two ways to do these loop races. And it's like as many loops as you can of a one mile loop or half mile loop or two mile loop in a certain time period, which is great for people that are maybe kind of dipping their toe in the water with their first ultra and they don't know how far they want to go or they really like like the pressure of time. And then there's also like a hundred miles of a one mile loop, things like that. And while I appreciate what those bring to the table of logistics, um, easy access to aid stations, not having to carry things. They're not my favorite style of races to do personally, but my parents live in Florida. And so that's a lot of the races are there. They're kind of at smaller parks and things like that. So I've done quite a few of those races. Um, they're not always my favorite, but then, you know, you get to focus on the community of people and you get to, hey, I'm going to cheer that one, you know, guy with the polka dot socks on every time I see him because he looks like he's having a hard day. And, you know, you can kind of focus on different aspects of the running. Well, you, did you, you're friends with uh, Sean Blanton, aren't you? The run bum? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. we talk sometimes, and um, Billy's Billy's one of his pretty good friends, I think. So yeah, I saw Sean, and, and uh, shout out to you, uh, Mr. Blanton, Mr. Runbum, uh, for doing trying to or to doing actually that whole Florida trail. Maybe. Yeah, that was that was cool. Um, looked swampy and miserable, and I'm glad it was him, not me. <laughs> well, and uh, I know Sean uh, back in the day uh, here, we used to have a run the run to the sun. Yeah, up to Haleakala, and he tried to bring it back. Um, is it last really year or last? Yeah, yeah. Hurt, hurt has tried to do it, but they didn't get the permits last year. Yeah, I've talked to the park myself about it. There is apparently, and I'm not going to name names because I don't know if they want announcements, but there is apparently that run is a t supposedly going to be resurrected next year, which would be really cool. Um, so I know of a race director and promoter who's working on that and I don't know if they want to be named, but, um, 
hopefully it comes back. It would be really cool. I've run some sections of it pretty recently. We went over and had a, a running weekend there and uh, it'd be a cool race. I've looked into it. I've talked to the park. They're not super helpful. So to the uh, race master who does pull it off, hats off. Have you, you've done Hurt, haven't you? The Hurt 100? I have. I've done Hurt a couple times. Um, I'm pretty, I'd say pretty immersed with that community because that's really the community that I started doing a lot more trail running and kind of identifying, you know, um, I would do like an ultra run a year, you know, in my 20s, but it was while I was bodybuilding. Um, so I wouldn't really run. I would just kind of depend on fitness and show up and do a run and that that would be that that's incredible that you could do that while you're doing the bodybuilding and basically what starving yourself. <laughs> Holy smokes! I, I mean, yeah, but I did a lot of stair mill and things like that. And you're when you're physically fit, you can get through. I think a 50k, um, even if you're not a runner, you just involve a lot of hiking and you know. Um, so I do things like that, but I'd say when I was in Hawaii, when I first moved to Hawaii, that was kind of my first. Um, attempt at connecting with the ultra running community. So I'd say a lot of the hurt community people are really close to my heart. And that was really cool to see too. I'll say when um, Billy and I started the progress of putting on races, they were extremely supportive and, you know, technically one race in Hawaii, another race in Hawaii. And I wasn't sure what their reaction would be. And, uh, you know, John gave me, gave me their blessing and they were very happy for us. So that was cool to see that kind of community. Uh, that I mean, I I personally, for me, I think that's great that we have more. I mean, technically, the only trailway race we've had, or the only ultra we've had here, has been the Hilo to Volcano, which is on a road. You know, it's not really a trail run or anything. Right, and that's still really cool. I think you know, different kinds of ultras are great for different kinds of people. Um, as far as like our race direction, we really want to focus on getting people on the trails of Big Island and seeing kind of the more iconic things of Big Island that maybe when people come to Big Island, they don't see on their drive around the island. Um, so we, we are going to have, you know, that road option, but that's, we're doing that in an homage to the ultra run that used to host that. Um, it's not necessarily going to be our bread and butter kind of race, um, but we do want to offer it. In fact, my uh, one of my buddies, uh, Carl Wordle, who has done, he's done Run to the Sun, he's done a lot of ultras. I guess technically he was the last winner of that race when it went Hilo to Waimea, yes. because he was the only one who finished. Yeah, it's, it's a tough it's route. So uh, for those of your people who don't know, this year in June, hopefully, we are having runners run from Hilo to Waimea. And it's, it's a big climb. So you're going from sea level to just under 7,000 feet and then back down to sea level. And um, it's pavement and it's got a big shoulder, which is really nice because as someone who has run on this island and done a hundred miler that did not have a shoulder, that was really miserable. Um, but where did you, I, I remember, I kind of remember that. Where did you guys go? Where, what loops were you doing? So I ran a race, um, by, put on by a guy named Jason Lester, who unfortunately is not putting races on here anymore. Um, but he put it on and it was a hundred miler. He had a 200 miler, but I don't think anybody did it. And a 300 miler. 
but it went from Kona to Volcano was the route that I ran. And then the 300 miler continued on around the island. Um, yeah, I know Jason. I know I've known him from Ultraman and stuff. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a, he's funny. I, I think he's, he's a strong personality. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good description, I think. <laughs> but I think ultra running in general attracts strong personalities. So yeah, think. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny. It does seem like people are either very strong personalities and outspoken, for lack of a better term, or strong personalities, but very, very, very quiet. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm not to name names. Billy's gone, right? He's outside right now. <laughs> part, part of his quiet personality. So in the uh, you've had to cancel, let's see, one race or two races? I can't remember. So right now we've delayed one race. We're not canceling. Um, we do have a really good relationship right now with DLNR. So they have agreed that our permit progress will just be an alteration of the date. Everything's still approved. Um, but at this point we had a, it was a bigger turnout for the race, you know, and it involves more working parts because we have police officers, we have DLNR, doe care officers, we have a lot more community that's going to have to be at that, the, the way that race was set up, um, involvement. So would it be safe for us to risk, you know, to attempt to put that on right now? So. And, and this was the 50 mile or 50 K up on what here in Hawaii we call R1 the road that kind of goes around Mauna Kea. Yes. And so we've delayed that. And at this point we don't have a date because we're just kind of playing the wait and see game. Um, another big thing for me is trying to make sure that when fall does come around, hopefully everyone's healthy and races are being put on, but I don't want to, Oh, our race is the same weekend as three other races. So I kind of want to <laughs> see what's going on and you know, if it means delaying it until the winter, or you know delaying it until early spring i would rather do that than stack it when people have six you know six other races in two weeks and you know yeah that's kind of the problem that i see for a lot of races whether they're triathlons or marathons uh, i i can't see how they're going to manage their schedules i mean here on the, the big island we have a hard enough time finding an open weekend to do anything Right. You know, you can't please everybody. And I've already learned that, you know, in our very short experience of being a race director, I've, I've done a few races, like five Ks. This is years and years ago. I'd put on like uh, hash runs, essentially. The, those people are much easier to please, but you know, I've already kind of, kind of made my peace with the well, fact beer that. involved with a hash run. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Maybe I should offer beer, but uh, we do have a wine run. So maybe people will be easy there. Oh, that's right. You can't, you can't please everybody. And so I've, I've learned, um, I've learned that quickly because we already had one date change and then a delay with the, the COVID issue. So, um, you know, people are going to get upset and you know, that's part of the, the game. It just, it's part of the progress. Yeah. Welcome to the big Island, uh, bureaucracy too, having to go through that. Uh, you know, I'm a race director here too, so I I know that the it's sometimes the old saying here was that it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes, and I've been lucky to do some volunteer work and to make some friends 
with some state workers that have attempted to help me get to know people quicker, but it's uh, definitely a good old boys kind of community a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, it's also important to develop those community relations because here on the Big Island, we've had uh, companies from the mainland come here, throw a race on, and uh, in my opinion, again, just my opinion, they really don't care about us here. They don't care about the island. Right. And I think that's, that's rude. And I know that's happened to race directors here that, you know, they, they put a race on and then all of a sudden there's another race on top of theirs or the races may be put on somewhere that's culturally sensitive, which obviously doing a race on Mauna Kea, we're, we're being cautious with that um, and approaching that as, you know, respectfully as we can. Um, but it's definitely, I could see that there's a bit of community I don't want to say resentment, but apprehension towards race directors coming in and putting things on. And so um, it's been nice that everyone's been welcoming and working with us, but I definitely don't take that for granted. Oh, yeah. Aloha is a, is a two-way street. So, you know, nutrition. Now, let's get back to nutrition because you are highly qualified in nutrition. If you were <laughs> they did have cake frosting for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Billy's birthday, so we, we can blame it on him. <laughs> well, hopefully, you, you know my nutrition involves fireball. So, yes. uh, you know, hopefully there will be fireball enter, entering into today sometime or another, maybe. There you go. Um, no, I, uh, so that was what my education was in. I personally, um, this is more of a personal choice than a, um, education-based choice, but I personally don't eat meat as far as um, eggs. I've become flexible on those, but I've gone, you know, times in my life where I was completely vegan and times where I'll do eggs for, I think, about two years of my adult life, I ate some chicken and fish. Um, but for the most part, I think since I was like four years old, I've been vegetarian, vegan, somewhere on that, you know, spectrum. Oh, wow. Yeah, for a lot of years in college, which was for me a long time ago, uh, I was strictly uh, rice and veggies for a lot of years. Yeah. And, you know, was I, that fish I was, or? No, no fish. Yeah, really in there. Just rice and veggies. Yeah. You know, which it served its purpose back then. I, I have to admit now that I kind of switched over to a little bit, a bit of a keto diet and yeah. stuff as I've gotten older and stuff and I think I need energy from any source that I can get as, as somebody who's vegan and stuff, where do you, where do you, where does your energy come from? Where does, uh, you know, when you're doing a race or when you're doing training? So I, about two years ago now, I discovered, I think this is where you and I have bonded the most. So I'll share this first. Um, I discovered that uh, there's a great benefit towards having a beer mid run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one is a great mood booster it's a you know appropriate source of carbohydrates it's easy easily digestible and um i think that's where you and i have a little in common with our running style and not taking it too serious um but no i i have um actually since living with billy because he's more on the he's more on the i wouldn't say keto but he's more on that that spectrum of how he eats i have upped my fats a little and i've had really good success with that um before when i was completely vegan um 
I noticed I had to eat about every 45 minutes to every hour because I was doing pure carb sources. And now that I have upped my fat intake with coconut oil and eggs and being a little higher in nut butters, things like that, I'm eating every three or four hours. So that's been kind of fun to play with. Um, as far as my personal thoughts on what's right for people, it's whatever you're gonna stick to that you enjoy um, without too many extremes. When people go, you know, I personally don't think anybody should be on an extremely strict keto diet where they're not having carbohydrates because you need vegetables and you shouldn't be on any diet that's so strict that you're excluding any one thing, you know, with some extreme. That's, that's, a, that's where people get unhealthy. They either eat way too much. They don't eat foods that are, you know, actually foods. They're living on Doritos or they're trying to be way too extreme. Yeah, uh, uh, shout out to Pat Reagan, who does races strictly, Pat does races strictly on goo. Yeah, and see, I do that. So I've done, I've done a couple hundred strictly on goo. Um, I've done them on Carbo Pro. Those both sit really well to my stomach. I will generally, for the most part now, try to eat until about 50 miles, 60 miles in, and then I'll switch to goos or carb-based drinks, but... I've also done a hundred miles on beer and grapes, so I can't really speak for. <laughs> I've had I've had many many things work for me. I kind of have an iron stomach, so. Please tell me you don't drink White Claw. I do, <laughs> but I prefer Truly's. So shout out to Truly. You asked earlier if I had any sponsors. I'm working really hard for that Truly sponsor. So. No. I've um, seen I've seen a lot of runs where. Uh, you, you seem to train a lot with the ladies, you know, yes. which, which is great to see the photos and stuff that you post. But I, I do see a lot of consumption of Truly. Yeah, it's kind of our go-to. All of my girlfriends and I have done many polls and many, many uh, attempts at tastings. And we, we hands down seem to prefer Truly as our brand of hard seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it's a seltzer. Yeah, so it's a hard seltzer. It's very similar to White Claw, except it tastes better. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what races do you have planned, like in the future? I mean, not races that you're going to race direct, but like, do you have any? I don't. I um. So, like you said, I ran very briefly on in high school and college. Um, I guess high school is always brief, but I ran, you know, for like half a season in college. Um, so I haven't run fast in a long time, and I'm not the best at it because I've had some pretty serious knee surgeries. But I think right now more than, you know, running 100 miles or 150 miles or anything crazy long, I'm more intrigued by hopping into a 10K or half marathon. So I might hop into, there's a great one here locally. If I can shout out another race director, my friend Keely puts on a half marathon and it's in my neighborhood. Um, so that'll be our late summer, late summer. Uh, so yeah, my friends Kelly and Keely put it on. Um, that could be a tongue twister, but uh. Oh, well, hey, yeah. In fact, I, I reached out to. I, I know Keely is uh, in the medical profession. Yes. In, in fact, she's. Uh, I messaged her a couple of days ago about what's up with her, and she was, you know, training new nurses to help yeah. set up the Hilo Medical Center to prepare for things that might happen, you know, in the short term yes, future. She's been really busy. 
we've done a few runs six feet apart from each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, since she lives, you know, just a few blocks from me, which is nice. So, um, but yeah, I might, I might hop into her race at the late summer. That's probably the only thing I really have on my bucket list. Oh, I had, I had to thank her for last year, the first year that the Ohia uh, half marathon uh, went on was on my birthday. So I thanked her for setting up a race that's on my birthday. That was very kind of her. And yeah, really, it's very considerate. I thought. And uh, again, I'm signed up for it uh, end of July. You know, big shout out to her and Adam for being to do that race and also the 100% Kona Coffee Marathon yeah. later in the year. Yeah, so. and so I might hop into one of her races this year as far as like any big, big plans. I've been more interested in, you know, um, more like adventure running style things. Uh, not even so much FKT per se, but just... Um, you know, I've done a few of those, but more, more just going running and having fun. If it means running 10 miles and camping somewhere or running 50, you know, it's just kind of more the adventures than the races right now is kind of in my, what's, what's bringing me joy. So. Oh, good. Well, and lately, uh, because of the COVID situation and stuff, a lot of people have been putting on uh, uh, virtual races. I am not a big virtual person. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not either. I personally, it doesn't fire me up. I do a 5k, um, every year in December that my friend Joyce puts on, but it's only because I love her. It has apps and it's her and I want to support her race. It has nothing to do with wanting to do a virtual 5k. <laughs> um, she also puts on an actual 5k in Northern California, but, um, I'm not there, so I do it virtually, usually most years, but that's that's about the only virtual race I'll be doing. So. <laughs> I, I admire people who can do that. I mean, I know there was a big uh, thing this weekend. Uh, yeah, like it was fun to watch. It was fun to, it's been fun to check in and see people doing 200 miles in their living room and things like that, so. I mean, I, I'm of the same opinion as you as far as the loops. I mean, the uh, Jed Smith race that I did was a just under five mile loop. It was it was very much fun, but the people who can do like Josh and those guys that can do track runs, holy smokes! You know? Yeah. Uh, the only reason I enjoy loop loop races is for the social aspect. So for me if I want to run fast and be competitive, I'm more looking at a technical mountain race that is either point to point or something like hurt or something, which I was not competitive this last time I did it. So let's not, let's not say, let's not claim anything. That type of trail, or if I wanted to push myself for time, um, I did do well on the road hundred I did here. Um, but it was, that was a lot of climbing. It was not a typical road flat kind of course. So. Can you give can you give us a short description of the course, the Hurt 100 course? You can use ex, expletives are okay. Hmm. Let's see. I'm going to say this as softly as I can think of to say it because I love the Hurt community. But of all of the trails in Oahu, why would you pick the ugliest fucking course? <laughs> You're literally just wandering around the, not one part of the course is pretty. 
It's designed so that of all of the trails in Oahu, you end up on a section that has the most traffic of any trails. And the only thing I do like about it is the, the nature of the 20 mile loop is that a lot of the sections you do six times per loop or four times per loop. So there's a lot of crisscross. So me being a social runner, I like seeing where people are and saying hello to my friends, even if we're not getting to run together. And uh, so I do like, I do like the setup of the, the loop itself per se, instead of like Cavalina, that's a 20 mile kind of just full cir circular hundred mile loop where you don't see anyone unless you're passing them or they're passing you. Um, so I, I like the setup of the hurt loop, but as far as the trails, that's literally the ugliest, most boring <laughs> trails in Oahu. So, which is hard to do. Like there is a lot of trails there and John just really nailed it out of the park with picking the ugliest ones. Um, as far well, as I'm going to, I'm gonna, uh, hopefully I can interview Gary Robinson. I'm going to ask Gary, you know, obviously the same question. Yeah, it's not, and I don't understand because everybody talks about it being so hard or so technical. I've done a lot more. I've done, you know, 100K that's harder in, you know, Korea, and I, there's a lot of Asian races that are much, much harder. So I think it's not the hardness of the course. It just beats you down because you never get to look at anything pretty. It's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I think hurts hard. It's ugly. <laughs> I love the community, and I like the people, but it's – it's just not a pretty course. Yeah, you, you talked about Korea a little bit. Uh, it sounds like I didn't realize that you've done ultras and trail races in other countries. Yeah, um, so I've done, let's see, I've done some races in Japan, obviously. I lived there um, in Korea and, uh, you know. Um, Is there a different atmosphere? I would guess that it would be the same because it's a trail race. It's, uh, they're a lot bigger, I think, than people realize. And so you might be starting a trail race with three or 400 people. And so, you know, when you have a turnout of, you know, 50 people to a, a Hawaii or mainland trail race, it's kind of a bigger race. Um, I think Hong Kong was probably my favorite. It's probably the most dramatic landscape of anywhere I've ever run. Um, because you're, you're in these major cliffs and you're pretty much going up or down stairs or cliffs the entire time, but you're overlooking this massive city. And then it's this, these high, crazy mountains on the edge of, you know, oceans. So you're looking at beautiful views the whole time. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's different uh, because I don't speak a lot of Japanese or very, <laughs> like a hello and thank you in Korean. And so I think being an American runner there is different. Um, and then obviously you very, um, when you're kind of in your stupid, you know, ultra running brain, you assume anyone else who is white might speak English and you try to speak to them and most likely they're European and yeah, the, yeah. them speaking English is their first or first language or slim. So, you know, the, the social aspect of racing isn't there as much for me in Asia, but I would say the courses are prettier and harder and usually... Um, they don't they don't do aid stations in the same way I would say the Hawaii community does it's you have water and it might be every 10 miles or you might get Gatorade or Coke after 30 or 40 miles into a race you might see bananas that's about it um oh, okay no M&Ms huh no I've never seen candy and so it's just just some differences I think um 
that was, I bonked really hard on a hundred K because I was expecting to kind of graze from aid stations and I got to them and they said they would have vegetarian option. And I was like, Oh, cool. And they were like, we have beef soup or pork soup. And I went, <laughs> oops, no soup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I did that for a few aid stations. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to be walking now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. I think the, the hype of, um, and again, this isn't anything against hurt because so the hype of it being the one of the hardest races is is laughable. It's not. It's um, it's a hard hike, you know. And I think for people like Gary or my friend Trevor, they're very phenomenal runners. Or like you know my client Anna. She you know, but even Anna when she won it this year wasn't running. I, I paced her for you know fifty miles, and it's not a race that's runnable. So I think that's why maybe some people are surprised or shocked by it. But if you're expecting that, there's a race called the beast in Taiwan. Oh, okay. If you want a race that's harder than hurt, go to a 50 K in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess that's maybe kind of my, why I don't think it's as hard. Like I've done a, I did a race in Japan and, I didn't make the like 40 K cutoff yeah. because I literally was crawling for probably six miles. And that's the 40 K is just under 26. So that's 25 miles. Yeah. And I was the fat, I was first place female. I think like three people finished out of 200 because nobody made the time cutoffs. Oh, wow. And so, you know, Asia does not, they don't. And that's, that's a different attitude there. That's the only other thing. Time cutoffs there are so harsh that in American races, I would say only the top third would finish. And so when people go to do a lot of the Asian races, they may see 18 hours as a cutoff on 100K and think it's easy. And the winning elite men are finishing in 16 hours. So good luck if you're middle pack to average. Um, it's tough to make cutoffs there. You have to be running at every possible moment yeah i have a friend carmen uh who's uh, from germany and um uh, she's living in sri lanka now uh but uh she told me years ago about just regular road marathons because mm -hmm. i mean i i can stumble around a marathon you know as long as the cutoff isn't too bad she yeah. says no yeah i i could never do races in germany because they have cutoffs that you have to race a race not walk. yeah it's pretty common i think in japan to have five or six hours as a cutoff for a marathon um because you know road closures and things like that that you know before i was thinking as a race director i thought oh wow that's really strict that's so harsh for people but now i understand permitting and police and if in the japanese mindset if you're not running to run or to achieve something then why would you go walk it you know, and so it's just a different attitude towards running. I don't think it's right or wrong. It's, um, but I definitely brace my American clients when they want to do an Asian race that they need to be able to run the distance they're signing up for. There's, it's not meant for hiking and they don't, they don't design their races that way in general. So, which uh, well, I don't think it's a good or bad. It's just how they do it. Speaking of your clients, uh, uh, what do you gear your coaching towards? I mean, with your clients. And you don't have to be specific, but 
Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question. Um, I'd say it's been a it's been a little bit of a flux as I when I was bodybuilding, I would say ninety percent of my clients were bikini fitness competitors, figure competitors, men's physique competitors, things like that. And I still coach that and I'm still involved with um, that community. I still talk to the president of the organization. I got my pro card in, you know, every few months. Um, so as far as like being politically and um, financially vested in that um, community, I'm still there, but it's not the majority of my clients anymore. I'd say the majority of my clients are runners or triathletes or people just looking to get healthier and there. Um, that itself has its own challenges because when people make a, a goal that's a little more flexible, like I want to get healthier or look better versus I want to run a hundred miles on this day, or I want to run a marathon on this day, or I want to get on a bodybuilding stage on this day. It's a little harder to get a fire under people when they have a, I just want to feel good about myself and feel a little healthier. That's, that's harder to coach. Um, so I'd say my coaching business has moved more into that, the, the wellness and just overall health, um, as well as, you know, like I said, triathlon and running um, in the last few years, but I still coach bodybuilding clients. It's just, um, I try to make sure that their head's in the right space to do it healthy and to understand expectations with drug-free competitions. Um, I won't and do not coach people that use steroids. It's to me too much of a liability and I'm not educated or comfortable to work with that. Um, it sounds like your, your business and your coaching is built on health, number one. And then whatever goals that your clients have will then follow along as long as they're being healthy. Right. And that's kind of the approach I take. And, you know, like I said, if it, because that sport does attract a lot of the drug use, I say, hey, best wishes. But I can't, I can't coach you with that because I, I'm, I don't want the liability or the emotional upset if you know 10 years from now that they have health, health issues and so yeah, and like, i think as, as a race director too you know you mentioned liability i think a lot of people don't realize they may get angry or unhappy with us if we have to delay a race or postpone a race or some of the things that we do as part of the race and they don't realize i think the liability that we face and the fact that if you're a good race director i think your number one concern is uh, the safe part of your event. Absolutely. I think people having a safe and enjoyable race experience is our number one priority of somebody getting to, you know, originally our race was going to be like spring break. And so, um, you know, we had a couple of people from mainland that they wanted to do the Hawaii bucket list race when they flew out for spring break, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, you know, foreseeable to be safe. And so that, unfortunately, you know, you can't please everybody. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I faced, I was signed up for the four day born to run ultras, Lewis, uh, his race. And, uh, he delayed it as opposed to canceling it and doing it next year. So right now I, yeah, I understand cause I'm a race director too, but I'm looking at, uh, my airplane, flight which was already booked keeping yeah. keep my fingers crossed that they cancel it 
then yeah, I can. We might be able to move it for you too. So uh, the problem is, is that Lewis uh, he changed it to the same week as Iron Man. Oh man! I'm the race director for the Path Run the week before Iron Man that weekend. Right. So, and to be honest, some of the considerations that I have is I'm an at-risk person. I have asthma. Um, I'm certainly in the age group that, you know, I have to be concerned about. And, uh, out, but you know, it's kind of like, well, I can't really, I, I don't know if the, the future is going to, if there's going to be an Ironman, to be honest, if the, if our race is going to go on and stuff. Yeah. What are, what what's what's your kind of your outlook on how things are going to go for let's say the next six months? What do you think? As far as the COVID situation, COVID and races. I mean, like you already mentioned that the, a lot of races are stacking up now in the in the fall. So, you know, there were some races that were put on that I don't think should have been put on after the COVID situation happened, and I'm not naming names. I'm not pointing out anyone. I think March 1st, when this started being an issue on our islands, things should have been shut down. And they weren't. Um, and that's not a political jab against the governor, although I'll just say he's not my favorite, um, based on his response on this. But uh, I think for race directors to be safe, they need to make sure that they can facilitate an area that follows the CDC recommendations. So what that means for me as a very new race director, that means that if I can't supply an environment where people can be six feet away from each other and the only people within three days touching the surfaces they need to touch, and that means if I'm handing someone a water bottle, that's unsafe. It, I would need to have gloves and it would need to be wiped down and need to be sterilized. And if I can't provide that, then I shouldn't be putting races on. So it'll be interesting because I think politically our states are, and our governors and our mayors are having a lot more control on the U.S. than they are maybe in other countries. Um, so there's been a lot of individual interpretation on medical um, safety. Personally, I don't think anything should be put on unless the race director can provide that. Um, I think financially some people are going to choose to put things on that, you know, maybe shouldn't happen. And, you know, we don't know the long lasting effects of that. It could be very minimal and it could be very huge, but as far as my personal liability, I know I'm not going to offer anything that I don't feel I can provide in a safe manner. Um, just for my, I mean, not even so much. I, my legal more, you know, my legal yeah. reasons but more for, I don't want a racer to post on their Facebook and me to see six months later, their mom died and they got a cold or what they thought was just a cold after coming to do our race. So it's just not, it's not a chance I'm willing to take. Um, I don't know. I've had a lot of people ask me, Hey, you're, you're a doctor. So, but I haven't seen it under a microscope. So I'd say I've officially have no opinion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I agree with you about the races. And uh, I mean, I support the race directors. I don't necessarily support their decisions. Right. Um, you know, but, yeah, in good conscience. I mean, it's more difficult, as you know, probably, to yes. delay a race or cancel a race than it is to put it on. 
Yes. I mean, putting on a race, uh, my joke has always been like race day. It's a rock rolling downhill. Just get out of the way. You know, yep. the race is, race is going to happen. You've done everything beforehand that you could do, but there's nothing that you can do race day, literally, that uh, is going to change too many things. Right. Future plans. Let's see. I understand. Hmm, you seem to be engaged to somebody. Yes. Uh, so engagement involves a fiance, involves usually a date of some sort for a <laughs> thing. What do they call that stuff again? A, a wedding, I think, is what they call it. <laughs> So we were looking at summer solstice this year, but that might be uh, up in the air too, because we're not willing to, to risk our friends or family members with traveling um, this summer. So we're not really sure on that. So that'll be a to be continued to let you know how that goes. <laughs> to be announced in the future, hopefully. Yes. So uh, yeah, we're just, it's, it's kind of a weird period of limbo, but we're not willing to make any decisions race-related or wedding-related or anything until we know more. So, And your immediate plans are obviously to stay where you're at and not travel. And Yep, absolutely no traveling. Um, we've been doing runs with just ourselves. We're not meeting with friends. You know, if, you know, I, like I said, I've run with Keely. Uh, you know, we're not hugging, we're not touching, we're staying across the road from each other so it's more of a social acknowledgement <laughs> of one another versus a chit chat but um yeah we're, we're being we're being very careful not only because the majority of the people that live in our neighborhood are senior citizens and we feel like that's responsible but you know people under their 20s are dying you know we had a a, a close friend's uh brother and his fiance ended up in the hospital and they're in their 20s and you know in the acute care so yeah yeah absolutely play around with so and um so you're i mean we are all fortunate i mean i get to drive uh 8.8 .8 miles i had to actually measure it because i was curious how far it is from where i'm at to a place that i go out and run which is very isolated it used to be more isolated there's i, I joke now i'm, I'm going to start a dog walking service just strictly on the uphills yeah, because you can do that. That there's more and more people out walking dogs and trying to stay healthy and stuff. And I know you guys in your neighborhood, you're pretty lucky because you're, you know, fairly isolated and have access to trails that are nearby where you're, you're probably safer than running in the neighborhood, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, we, um, we are less than a block from the national, from an access point to the national park, but that is currently closed. Um, so we are running road more than anything, um, but we've, we've driven down to some trails that are still open, um, you know, about 20 minutes. So, yeah. uh, so it's a very short drive. So we're very lucky in that aspect, but other than that, we're not leaving the house and we're just trying to do everything that is recommended to be safe. And I've noticed that uh, uh, I, in the past, I haven't noticed that somebody that you and I both know, I never saw them post stuff about being on a bike. <laughs> now, now there seems to be bike riding involved. Yeah, so I used to cycle quite a bit. I had uh, some issues last year that I ended up cycling more than running, and I fell in love with it. And uh, somebody <laughs> that I uh, live with might be uh, 
he was already cycling um, when I met him, just not as not as much, but he's definitely been cycling, you know, 100 miles or so a week with me, which has been fun. Wow, that, hey, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's a great cross training and it's uh, kind of closes the gap in the talent force for us uh, because his running is quite a bit quicker than mine. So we uh, aren't always- Keep up with that ugly boy on the bike. Yeah, I can keep up with him on the bike, so. And then as, uh, as a, um, I'm a uh, PATH uh, uh, bike safety, uh, you know, uh, uh, teacher and stuff, uh, thank you for wearing helmets. Of course. I, I see so many people out now that they haven't ridden their bikes for a while and they're out there and their kids, the Keikis have helmets on, but they don't. And it's kind of like, no, you're setting a bad example. You need to also wear a helmet and everything. But I think that's coming around. I was the first person on the most gory incident I've ever seen. And it was someone on a bike. So that said, I will never ride without a helmet. And the person had a helmet on, but unfortunately did not save them and uh that said i very fresh in my mind so i'm always very careful about where i'm at and where i ride so oh yeah and i know that uh i i i usually ride uh, to be honest i ride on queen k because it's yeah. got wide shoulders That's and true. i always wear high vis i can't i can't tell you how many people uh john kelly if you're listening john in his uh when he was a brief pro in triathlon instead of doing the barkley uh, he was on an the everyman jack team and he, their their kit was black and blue and, and it's like come on we're high vis please yeah you know i mean especially on this island or actually anywhere shoot you know it's like i ride motorcycle people think you're invisible. They look right at you and then pull out in front of you. So it's like our safety message for today is wear high-vis clothes and wear a helmet. Yes, please. So uh, sponsors, do you have sponsors? I don't. I, uh, Who would I you like? Of... You've already mentioned that you would like to have uh, truly be a sponsor. So yeah, any that's other that's people you want to reach out? That's the only sponsor I'm accepting. So unless, <laughs> unless, unless there, you know what? I take that back. There is a, local winery that's where we're putting our race on in august volcano winery wants to you know ship wine to our house i will accept said donations <laughs> not open no uh, that was that was kind of the nice part about getting out of bodybuilding i had a lot of relationships and sponsors and you know you're supposed to post and have these connections and you know um i still was very careful about working with companies that i utilized but as far as who I am on social media, I kind of like to keep it similar to who I am in real life. So, you know, having, I have good relationships, I would say with um, the people at Amp Human, which I like. Oh yeah, yeah, I use that. In fact, thank you for the uh, coupon code and stuff that you have. Of course, so I have good relationships with them. Um, I have good relationships with Nathan. Um, but as far as like having a contracted sponsor, that's something I decided wasn't, wasn't for me a few years ago. It's uh, just not, it wasn't worth my interest quite. So. Uh, well, that's, that's great. As a daily nutrition, if you, uh, do you, what do you use as far as gels or a sport drink or. I don't use gels or sports drinks unless I'm doing a very long event. So 
I will use goo. I've used them since I was seven years old riding horses. Um, I was very, very skinny as a kid and had a hard time getting enough food in me. Yeah. So uh, that problem has since been solved. But uh, so, yeah, I'll use goo or Carbo Pro, you know, for a long race or a very long, like 40 mile run or something. But as far as like daily, I just eat real food. So. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Excellent. I think that's, that's me. Honest. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, it's simple, affordable, and I think it's all here. So, PB and J's, PB and J's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, if you have anything else you want to add, any message you want to add, uh, you know, I mahalo, you know, for taking the time on uh, a significant other's birthday. Yeah. Uh, and, and can I ask how how did the cake come out? Do we know yet? So um, the cake took longer. I don't know if it was elevation, um, but the cake took longer. So the frosting was a little cracky because it wasn't as hot as I wanted it when I put it on. But I think he was pleased. It still tastes good. It's not. Are not you already consumed it. Well, we we had to do a little corner taste. <laughs> but um, you know, it's uh, not as pretty as I would have liked. But uh, I'm a perfectionist, uh, so it's 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 edible and. You know, taste tastes good. Well, and, and, and I think that's a good uh, attitude to have towards people too. Yes, as long, as long as they're edible and they taste good, it literally <laughs> doesn't matter how it looks. That's valid. That's valid. Okay, thanks, uh, Mahalanu Lo, Alex. Uh, I appreciate the time that you've taken of today. Of course, have a good day. Enjoy some fireball for me, and uh, I hope you get outside on some trails. Okay, let's see if I can uh, allow, okay, I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna, let's see, I'm gonna stop your video and stuff. And in fact, I'm gonna remove you, only, right. only electronically here. All right, I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. So thanks again to Alex for uh, uh, taking the time Today, it's uh, her fiance, Billy Barnett, uh, who probably a lot of you know uh, as a, the supreme ultra runner in, a lot of, uh, in many instances. If you've ever rid, uh, ridden, if you've ever uh, uh, read the book Born to Run or seen it, that is indeed Billy on the cover. He's the cover boy on it. So uh, I will hopefully be able to uh, uh, hook up an interview with him too separately and stuff. But I wanted to make sure that Alex uh, got uh, in a complete time with her, you know, cause she's, she's a quite an amazing person has quite an amazing background. I, to be honest, I didn't really, uh, we covered maybe a 10th of uh, what we could have covered. So I think that's great that, uh, uh, you know, I had that opportunity and again, to promote uh, my stuff, I want to promote, uh, let's see, Tailwind. Thank you, Go Tailwind, uh, for being uh, letting me be an ambassador this year, a uh, trailblazer uh, for Tailwind. It's great stuff. I use it all the time, uh, even when I wasn't being sponsored or promoting them. Uh, I've had the opportunity to taste a lot of different sports drinks and it was the one drink that really uh, I came to like and to do the best I think for me. So again, uh, shout out to Tailwind, 
a shout out to uh, anybody who uh, in the past has helped uh, the Big Island be successful as far as races go and to be able to experience our island. Also, uh, as Alex mentioned, uh, it, with uh, Aloha and uh, a sense of Ohana that we have here on the Big Island. So hopefully I will be sharing more interviews with, I want to cover Big Island athletes now uh, until I reach out to other people that I'm lucky enough to know, like on the mainland and stuff. But I want to cover Big Island athletes. Uh, hopefully I will have, uh, I think Jacob Fassler has agreed <laughs> to get interviewed and stuff. So I'll probably do an interview with him coming up shortly. And uh, if you're listening to this and you want to be on the show, please, you can send me an email at uh, joe at joefireball.com. Fireball is not a sponsor, even though you can kind of see here, we have a couple of fireballs. Uh, let's see, right there. We have a couple of empty fireballs. But you can reach out to me at Joe at Joe Fireball. And the website is uh, uh, hawaiialtra.com. We also have a Patreon site if you want to subscribe to our, our broadcast. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash forward slash Hawaii Ultra, all one word. So that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash Hawaii Ultra. And uh, hopefully uh, you're having a good day, you're staying safe, and everything in your neighborhood is uh, safe, sound, and healthy. Aloha.